Think with me about a time when you saw a spectacularly beautiful sunrise or sunset. It may have been years ago, it might have been last week. Perhaps you took a photo or maybe especially a selfie with the sunset. It seems to me that you probably haven't taken a vacation to a beach or to the Cape if somewhere in the thread of your photos that you post there isn't some photo of the sunrise or the sunset. Whether it's a sunrise or a sunset, wherever it is in the globe, they are truly stunning, aren't they? The beauty, the colors, the magnitude. And do you ever wonder what's behind it? Is there a reason for it? Is there a point to the spectacular sunrise or the stunning sunset? I wonder how you would answer that question today. Perhaps you think about neighbors and coworkers. How would they answer the question? Is there something to it? Is there meaning behind the sunrise and the sunset? That's what we're going to seek to answer this morning in our passage. So have a Bible. Turn to me in the book of Psalms to Psalm 19. Today we'll be in Psalm 19. You'll find it in the Bibles near you on page 456. Page 456. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or open up a Bible app just so you can see the text in front of you today. If you're newer to reading the Bible, when you open it up, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers. We'll be in chapter 19, Psalm 19. The smaller numbers are the verse numbers. I'll mention those throughout our time as we work our way through this psalm. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we as a church would love to give you one today as a gift. Following the service at the back of the room, there's a table, there's a sign that says free Bibles. We'd love for you to just grab one of those Bibles, following the service, and take it with you this morning. So we're spending these few weeks in July and August in selected psalms. So today, Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
this morning as we look at this psalm, we'll see this emphasis. Treasure all the Redeemer's revelation. Treasure all the Redeemer's revelation. And we'll look at our passage in three parts. So first we'll see revelation in the skies. Second, revelation in the scriptures. And third, revelation in the heart. So revelation in the skies, in the scriptures, and in the heart. So first we see revelation in the skies in verses 1 through 6. David begins this psalm by telling us that the God of the universe has chosen to make himself known. And in this psalm, he tells us two specific ways that he reveals himself. The first way we see in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. So God designed, he created the skies, he created the heavens to, among other things, to declare his glory. The sense of the word glory here is, is something like weight or worth. So the skies, the heavens are making known that there is a glorious, a weighty, a worthy God. So the heavens, the skies are, are the most incredible billboard ever made. As they communicate some of the glory of God, they proclaim the handiwork of this creator, God. And we see in verse 2 that this revealing that God is doing in the skies and the heavens happens continually. Day to day and night to night. Like a stream that flows but never ever runs dry. There's always more water in this stream. So every single day, the sun, the skies, the heavens are there. Every night, the stars, the moon, the heavens are there. And they're pouring out daily and nightly speech, knowledge for all who are in the world. Even as this is constantly happening, we see verse 3 that there is no speech, there are no words. So God is declaring something to us through the heavens, through the skies, but it is through nonverbal communication. The speaking that is happening is being done visually. And we see this declaring and proclaiming is universal. Look at verse 4. Through all the earth, to the end of the world. So wherever you go on this planet, the skies are there. The heavens are there. And you can see this same glory declared wherever you are. So God desires to tell us, to tell all people everywhere, something about his glory. It's an important enough message that is communicated in an ongoing, never-ending way and is communicated universally to everyone everywhere. And so as you travel the globe, you may find different terrain, mountains, plains, canyons, the ocean, but the same sky, the same sun, the same stars over all. And this message going forth is that there is a glorious creating God who's con consistently, constantly revealing himself to the world through his creation. And in the midst of the heavens, the skies, God has designated one part of his creation, especially as this unique central part, and that is the sun. Look at verse 4. In them he has set a tent for the sun, and the sun comes out each day and runs its course. Just so we're clear, David isn't trying to argue that the earth is the center of the universe. He's just describing it from our vantage point. For from our view, the sun rises and it crosses the sky. From one end to the other, day after day, it makes this same joyful circuit. And day after day, the sun never fails to do its job. It is always faithful, always reliable. And in verse 6, we're told there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun, as we know, is 
central and essential to our existence on this planet. We need the sunshine to cause the plants to grow. We need sunshine for our own physical and mental health. As we know, the long, dark, cloudy winters of New England are challenging for numerous reasons, and one of those is the lack of sun. I think as I've gotten older, maybe just notice more, I found more and more that impacts me. So when the sun comes out in the winter, I, I can't wait to be outside to try to take in some of that sunlight, for we need it for our own health. The sun is essential for physical health in this world. And as David describes the sun and its circuit, he describes the, the inability of trying to hide from the heat of the sun. So describing a, the existence perhaps in a desert, where wherever you are in the desert, you cannot escape its heat. You can try to hide, you can try to find shelter, but you cannot get away. So it is the sun overall giving life and light to the world. And in the first half of the psalm, David is pointing us to the skies, for they are communicating to us to the world, some of the glory of God. The text points us to the glory displayed in the skies, but of course God has made more than the skies, more than the sun, more than the stars. So all of nature, all of creation, the mountains, the rivers, the birds, animals, trees, flowers, human bodies, also play a role in displaying some of the glory of God. But even as that happens, there are limitations to nature, limitations to the skies, for all of creation has been impacted, marred by the fall. So in this world where the skies are beautiful, sometimes the skies are also filled with destructive storms. There are hurricanes, there are tornadoes, there are droughts, there are floods. The skies also cannot communicate specifics because the, the Declaring this happening in the skies is nonverbal. We certainly, in our world, understand certain nonverbal cues, but we also understand nonverbal cues have limitations to them. So when our kids were younger, they played a variety of sports, and, and so we would often be finding ourselves on the sideline, cheering for, and sometimes subtly and not so subtly, coaching our kids from the side. And one thing that would happen, there are so many things you could do in sports that we would be completely supportive of, but the one thing we felt like you can always do is you can always hustle. You can't always do the right thing. You're going to make mistakes, but the one thing, at least in the Cook family, we said, like, at the very least, you have to hustle. So often when our kids were young, we would stand from the side and, and you know, yell out the kid's name and say, hustle. As you can imagine, they loved that. They loved that encouragement from the side. Or we began to realize, like, I don't think they really want to hear that. So instead, we came up with a code, a signal that we gave. And the signal was this. So I tried to get their attention. I would call their name. And if they looked, I would give them the signal. Now, if you were another parent standing around, you might have thought, what's that guy doing? Is he trying to exercise by just moving his arms? No. Is he a little bit nervous because of the game? Perhaps. Is that man strange? Yes. We'd give the signal over and over, and before long, the kids would no longer look. They knew the signal was there, but they would not look. The signal did communicate something. It communicated hustle, but the signal also had limitations. For I couldn't communicate through that signal to our daughter, I have to leave your game now to make it to your son's game. This parent will bring you home, then we'll pick you up and we'll have dinner together. I could not communicate that. I could give them one simple message, 
but not great specifics. And so it is with the heavens. There's a very important message being declared, but there's a lack of specificity in the design that God has given for nature. As people interact with the skies, the heavens, some people try to hear more from the skies than what they're actually saying. So some will say, nature is all that I need. I don't need anything else. I don't need a church. I have nature. It's there that I know God. But the reality is, it's so easy to misinterpret nature. Two people experiencing this exact same situation, sun or rain, snow or not, can interpret that differently. Also based upon our own personalities, our circumstances, the particular weather we're encountering. Friends, the skies declare the glory of God, but, but not all of the glory of God, not even close. The most breathtaking sunset that God has given to us is so little compared to the greater glory of our God. Many have stopped worshiping the creator to worship the created to worship this good nature that God has given, to worship the skies that God has created, but have stopped asking the heavens to do more, hearing from the heavens more than we're intended to hear. But others of us hear less than what the skies are saying. Some look up and deny that the skies are pointing to something greater, someone more. It's also easy to not look up at all. Here in the city, in the midst of the busyness of life, we're always rushing from place to place. And, and honestly, it's not easy to look up. There are houses around us, buildings, trees, cars, all sorts of things. At night, there, there are lights. It makes it difficult at times to see the moon and the stars. So, so it's easy to live in the city with something like a skyless existence. Friends, we're not to be worshipers of the sun or of the skies, but Christians should take great interest, great joy in the beauty of creation. Friend, we should see a great sunset and say, what an amazing sunset, our God made that. If he made that, why would I not trust him? God is the one who's kept me through this. So Christians, we should admire and treasure, enjoy, love the beauty of God's creation. When we look at the work of things around us, we often commend the designer or the architect of that piece. My office is right up there, so when I look at my window, if I look straight across, I see a home. New England architecture, we'd all say designed by an architect, built by some builders. Below is a road, and so often cars are going by, buses, all designed by someone, and when there are no cars, no buses, there's a road designed also by some woman, strategically designed to have potholes regularly in it as well. And each of those, we would all agree, an architect for the house, a designer for the car, and for the roads. But if I look above the house, above the trees, I can see a little bit of sky above. Is there a designer to that? And so many in our city would say, yes, a designer for the house. Yes, for the cars, the buses, the roads, but, but no designer, no architect 
for the heavens. But I wonder if that's what you believe. Do, do we have a designerless existence in the world today? David is saying, the skies are saying day after day, there is a glorious creating God. And he is seeking to make himself known. And we're also told in the Bible, we're all accountable because of this ongoing revelation in the skies. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Friends, the revelation in the skies, in the heavens, is so valuable. It truly is a gift of God. But we need to know more to truly know God. The skies in this nonverbal way can give us a sense of some of the glory of God, but, but it can't give us the specifics. The skies cannot tell us that you were created in the image of God and therefore you have value and dignity. The skies cannot tell us that though we are image bearers, we all are also thoroughly rebellious. We've all gone our own way. We've rejected God and embraced a life of sin. The skies can't tell us there is a perfect, faithful, heavenly father they can't tell us of our sacrificing Savior, the very Son of God. The skies cannot explain to us our need of Christ. The skies cannot explain to us grace, the grace of God. God has given us the heavens to point to him, to bring him glory. But he's also given us more than the skies, more than the heavens. The revelation of the skies are so valuable, but God has intentionally given us more, which brings us to second Revelation in the Scriptures. Revelation in the Scriptures in verses 7 through 11. As you read along, there's really quite a, a significant shift when we come to verse 7 in this psalm. As David tells us, the God who created all of this has also made himself known in a more specific way. The one who created the skies, who created the sun, has also given to us what we call the Scriptures. David describes God's word here in a poetic way using numerous facets to help us understand more of what it is like. What is it? He refers to it as God's word as the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. This is what we would refer to as the scriptures. What is it like? He says perfect or blameless, sure, right, pure, clean, True. Now, what does it do? What do the scriptures do? Verse 7, reviving the soul. The word of God is what gives life, spiritual life. It is by the word that we are saved. So 1 Peter 1.23 says this, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So we're saved through the word. And for those who are saved, the word continues to be the source of reviving, renewing of soul, giving this thirst-quenching satisfaction through the living water of God's word. The scriptures revive us. The scriptures also, we're told, verse 7, make wise the simple. And friends, if we're honest, we all at, at our best are often simple and so often worse than simple. We're, we're so often foolish, aren't we? unwise, 
But God, through his word, makes us wise. Rejoicing, bringing joy to the heart. Verse eight. Across the scriptures, we're given so many reasons to have joy. And the center of that is this glorious God. This God who we see across history, sustaining, rescuing a people. The God who chose and blessed a people then has sent forth a savior, Jesus Christ, God the Son, the one who the prophets had foretold. And he came that through his life and death and resurrection, he would provide salvation, grace to any and all who receive it by faith. We have joy because there is salvation for us, the forgiveness of sins, adoption into God's own family. The scriptures are what tell us that. This is good news for us. Good news of life, eternal, joy, everlasting. The scriptures also enlighten the eyes, verse eight. Through the eyes of faith, we see Christ in the scriptures. God opens our eyes to think wisely, eternally, as we're informed by God's word. The scriptures endure forever, they're righteous altogether. He goes on to say, verse 11, they also warn us. It helps to see that keeping them is a great reward. So God graciously warns us, warns the world of a very real judgment that is to come. Of what we all deserve, but how God has provided a way out as a gift of grace through Christ. So out of kindness and love, God has chosen to reveal himself to us in the scriptures with great specificity and clarity. So as the sun nourishes physical life, so God's word gives sustains spiritual life for us. And because of what it is and what it does, look down at verse 10. It says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So he's saying that we can truly come to know God and see what he has given us in the scriptures, his revelation for us, the way that we can know him, we see it as a great and sweet treasure. What a gift. We have no distant, unknown God. A God that we have to guess what he's like, but he's given us this clarity in the scriptures for us. My friends, what access we have across history. God's people haven't often been able to own a copy themselves of God's word. Around the world today, so many places where the scriptures are not yet in a people's heart language yet. Or if they are, it's tremendously expensive to have a copy of it. And yet we have so many copies. What, what a treasure, what a gift, what a blessing that is. Does it ever cross my mind of what a joy it is, um, Christians across the centuries and around the world, that I have my own copy of God's word. It's a treasure to find sweet. When we look to the sky, we see the glory of God. We look to the perfect word of God. It causes us to also look at ourselves. That brings us to third, revelation in the heart. Revelation in the heart in verse 12 through 14. The psalm moves in these last verses from the skies and the scriptures to the personal level for David and for us. So David asked the question, verse 12, who can discern his errors? And the answer he's assuming is no one can. No one can truly discern our own errors. Our, our hearts are so deceptive. Our self-justification so elaborate. So we need the scriptures. We need the spirit of God to help us discern our own hearts. 
to discern our own motives, our own errors. So David asks, and we ask, Father, help us to discern our own sin, to know ourselves. Verse 12, forgive us for our hidden faults, things that we're not even aware of, sins that we're not aware we, we committed. Forgive us for those. Verse 13, keep us from presumptuous sins that so often we do. We were choosing to rebel against God. Forgive us for that, we pray. And more than that, we pray that these sins wouldn't dominate us. They wouldn't overcome us. So the scriptures make us aware of our sin, of our ongoing rebellion against God and our desperate need of a savior. Friend, we're unable on our own to keep ourselves from sin, nor are we able to atone for our sins. But thankfully, the scripture tells us someone has done this for us. And he's the, referred, the one referred to, verse 12, as O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David lived by faith, trusting in his Lord, who was and had been his rock and his redeemer. But also looking ahead, anticipating this greater one who was to come, who now we look back to who has come, Jesus Christ, the perfect redeemer. For Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the son of God came and he loved the law perfectly. There were no hidden faults in him. He never committed any sin. He was innocent and blameless, thoroughly kept the law in every way. And he took our punishment in our, in his, he took our punishment for us on the cross. As he went to the cross so that we would receive the reward we don't deserve, he took the sin that we had committed. His righteousness would be ours. He redeemed us through his death on a cross and friends, all of this is a gift of grace held out to any and all who receive it by faith. But if you're not a Christian, we're so glad you would join us on a beautiful summer morning. We, we hope that you do see that the skies tell us something. There's a help telling us something day after day. But we also encourage you in time to go beyond the skies to the scriptures. So you might consider what the scriptures tell us about God about our need, about his grace. So know that you're welcome here to explore this with us week after week. And if at some point you'd like to talk more, we'd love for you to be able to sit with someone from the church who would be glad to answer questions for you, read the scriptures with you, that you might know or really be able to consider, would you trust in this King Jesus, receive his grace? As Christians, our Redeemer transforms us so that we can pray, verse 14, this can be our, our desire, our prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Christ paid for our sins, both hidden and presumptuous. He paid for all of our sins, and now the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So there's now the power within us to make progress in the ongoing fight against sin, in our pursuit of growth and godliness and maturity. Friends, this is a wise desire and prayer. Lord, but today, would you have, would you cause, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight? Would you make my words and my meditations godly? Would you make them glorifying to you instead of so much less that they can so easily be? He describes in verse 10 this desire for or, or sweetness in the scriptures. That's worth just considering today. Does that desire mark you? 
Do you desire the word? Do you see it as infinitely valuable? The reality is so often, I think for most of us over years of following Jesus, is the desire comes and goes. At times the desire is strong. At times the desire wanes. Overwhelmed with the circumstances of life, in the depths of suffering, sometimes disappointment, sometimes just exhaustion. So our hearts easily grow cool. For you're not alone in that. That's not unusual. So let me just encourage you, ask God to again give you desire for his word. God, help me to again see your word as sweet. Because honestly, it's not so sweet to me today. Father, help me to treasure your word. Because honestly, I don't, I don't treasure it. That's really how we feel. We should be honest with God about that. We don't have to pretend we feel something that we don't. Now, when we don't desire, sometimes nature can be a great help to us in that. So in a couple of months, in October, we'll have a fall retreat. We'll go away to New Hampshire together, many of us. I invite you to join us for that. One of the many joys is, one, to get out of the city, two, to see the beauty of creation, the mountains, the lake, the skies. And there, to, to be refreshed by nature, by seeing, again, the declaration of God's glory in the skies, and to perhaps sit by the lake and take up God's word be revived by God's word. And see these two as complementary and helpful to you. As Christians seeking to live in this challenging, beautiful, yet sin-marred world, we'll be helped to seek to cultivate a life where we look up often. Meaning look up at the skies. Look up at the heavens regularly. To step out and to look above. When you're walking around the city, don't only look right in front of you. To look up at the sky. It takes work sometimes because of where we are in the city and the lack of access to it. Friends, there are always the sun there, the sky, the stars declaring the glory of God. This morning as I stood at the bus stop waiting on the bus, I found myself standing there tempted to do several things. I admire the donut shop on the corner. I wonder who's getting donuts this morning. Uh, to look at my phone for pointless news. But partly because I was about to preach at this, I forced myself to just look up. You see this beautiful, cloudless blue sky. The sun was over here. You can still see the moon there. For just a few minutes to see that the magnitude of this. What incredible creation God has given to us. Let me encourage you, as you make your way around the city, look up. Kids, as you live your life with your parents, your your parents are are busy, they're often frazzled. Maybe a helpful way you could encourage your parents would be to encourage the mom and dad, look up at the sky. Your parents so easily, if they're like me, are focused on other things, focused on our phone, we're doing all these things, but say, mom, look at the beautiful sunset. Look at the stars. Look at those clouds. Kids, you could be an encouragement to your parents through that. And friends, as we see the skies, to remind yourself, the God who made this sky, he's the one who's with you. The God who made that sunset, he's the one who's sustaining you. He will keep you. He will never forsake you. He will bring you home. So friend, maybe this afternoon, as you head out, look 
the sky. But don't stop there. Also look in. Look into the scriptures as well. So slow down and look at the sky, but also slow down and come to God's word. There will be a temptation to only look up for some of us. But friend, look in. Maybe slow down and just take this psalm, Psalm 19. Perhaps today, just go to a, a neighborhood park. Sit down, look up, read Psalm 19, and think about it. And read it again, and think about it. Meditate on Psalm 19. You'd be doing what verse 14 says. Meditating on God's word. Treasuring and think about God's faithfulness. For if your heart needs reviving, go to God's word. Admit your need of him. God, the one who has revealed himself, is faithful. He will revive, he will restore joy in time for us. For any of you struggling with hidden sin, the psalmist says, confess it today. There is grace for us today. Are you struggling with willful sin? Pray that God would give us grace today. He will, the strength to flee sin and fight it. But if you're not a Christian, won't you consider Jesus the Redeemer today? Maybe you've been considering for some time, turn to him by faith today. Maybe you're just beginning the exploration. Friends, there's a glorious God who has and is revealing himself in the sky today, in the scriptures for us. Friends, he is faithful. Treasure his revelation today.